Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. In this series, we're discussing CIC issue number 133, The Priesthood of Every Believer. You can find that at the website cicministry.org. And today we're going to be discussing the fourth function of a biblical priesthood, and that is to bind and to loose. Now, there's a lot of confusion surrounding binding and loosing today. So let's define that up front and we can discuss from there. In this context, binding and loosing means forbidding uh, or permitting. Okay. And the first two issues that we published in April of 1992, issue one, issue two, were about binding and loosing. And I think that's really pretty interesting because it is such a foundational topic that just in God's providence, that was the perfect way to start 30 years of ministry that all seem to keep coming back to that same topic. Yes, and the reason it comes back to it is the fact that it's so confused. Yeah. When we originally taught this, I had started a pastor's meeting to discuss whether it was appropriate to bind Satan over cities. Okay. And there was so much confusion about that based on the misunderstanding of one of Jesus's parables and so on. I did some research and realized that binding and loosing is about forbidding and permitting. Okay. And so if you are bound by some moral law of God, then if you transgress that law, you're sinning. Okay. And if you're loosed, it means you're permitted without sin to whatever it is that's loosed. Mm-hmm. And the issue wasn't about demons, especially in Matthew, but it's about who is under what law and why. That's right. And so ultimately, who does the binding and loosing? Exactly. And so that has been contested throughout history. And it came up in Acts, in Acts chapter 15, when they need to determine whether the Gentiles who are being converted were bound by the law of Moses. Right. And that is such a great example of binding and loosing because... One, it had nothing to do with binding Satan or any other principality over a city. It had to do with what does God's word say and what truly is binding on Gentile believers. That's how binding and loosing happens. Right. And so as we're going through this series on the priesthood of every believer, this was a huge, huge issue because we are discussing Luther and the Reformation and why it was such a battle. So really then, binding and loosing has nothing to do with demonic activity and everything to do with determining what God's word says, how it applies to us, and how we ought to live because of what it says. Right. Are we bound to what? And at the time of the Reformation, when Luther first stood up against Rome, and we're doing a series on the priesthood of every believer, he claimed that Rome had arrogated to itself, I mean, 
the Roman Catholic Church and the teaching magisterium and the various decrees through the centuries that had been issued by them, that would be binding on the conscience of any believer. And Luther said, no, Scripture. And so he went back to Scripture and particularly discussed things in Matthew 18 and so on. So to bind it and loose is to say that God has spoken through Christ and his apostles once for all, and what they have said is binding on the consciences of all believers. Right. And that which they haven't for, forbid is loosed. It's, it's a matter of liberty for all believers. Yes, let me just read. We're on page four of the Critical Issues Commentary here, issue number 133 on the priesthood of every believer. And it says here, as we have this binding and loosing, the fourth function, binding and loosing, is far more important, I wrote, than many realize. As our first two issues of CIC show, this is not about binding demons or spirits, but about declaring what is forbidden or permitted under Christ. So that summarized what we were just talking about. Okay. And when I first wrote about that in April of 1992, when we began Critical Issues Commentary, the meetings that I'd been holding with some pastors who believed, and many people believed still, meant you bind the demons over the city because the reason bad things were happening, the reason the church was struggling, or the reason people weren't being converted was that we had to bind the strong man, which was uh, a diversion from the real issue. And therefore, we got to get back to what it said. So that's why we started this. Right. And now if this seems, um, if, if this is a new concept for some of you, we did 32 episodes last year on spiritual warfare. So if you go to the YouTube channel and click on playlists, find the one that says spiritual warfare, there's 32 episodes that will cover all the details of this that we don't have the time to do today. One thing we've found is people have contacted us. Many people find an issue having looked at just general Google search. They find something that we wrote about it or spoke about it and then don't know how to find something else or often don't think of it. What have you written about this or that? So CICministry.org, go to the front page, find the little box, and then start searching there, and you will find various articles that have been written over the last 30 years. Right. There's, there's so much information there. So at this point, we want to talk about the priesthood of every believer. It's a powerful concept. Church authorities, since the very beginning of the church, and after the death of the apostles, even while they were still alive, someone would say, I'm the prophet of God. I speak for God. Listen to me. And if you don't, you are in big trouble. God's going to curse you if you don't listen to me or to us. And that's false binding. It is false binding. And so when Luther stood up against the entire ecclesiastical system of Roman Catholicism, they 
had believed they had the authority to arrest him, to rebuke him, and to leave him in whatever condition, because the only way you could find hope or forgiveness was through their uh, teaching magisterium, their decrees, their traditions, their councils. And he said, no, I believe we can go directly to God. Yes. Amen. The priesthood of every believer. So I cited part of this article. Now I'm in the column three of the PDF from this issue number 133. What is binding for all of us under the new covenant is what has been bound by Christ and his apostles. We have no power to loose what Christ has bound, nor bind what Christ has loosed. His appointed apostles, the biblical ones, are those who practiced this. So then I give the illustration of Acts 15, which we alluded to earlier. Now, at the time when way back, issue one and two, this is later when we went back to this topic, the ideal, at least amongst many people we knew, was that we're binding demons over cities. Right. So far from just binding the consciences of believers to things that God didn't bind or false loosing, we wanted to go even beyond that and control the heavenly realm, which is another issue. That's not anybody's prerogative, but God himself. Right. And so we've spent 30 years now dealing with these issues. Can you imagine if you lived in Luther's day and this massive ecclesiastical structure of traditions and councils was saying to you that you are not allowed to marry? You must take an oath if you were going to be a priest. You must do this and you must do that. And they continued to pile on more laws, more regulations, binding what God has loosed, loosing what God has bound. And this was a horrible mess. It still is. It's, yeah, it's even, if, if possible, it's even worse now. Right. And so the foundational issue in regard to the priesthood of every believer, is who speaks for God in a way that's binding and authoritative. And the answer is, God has spoken. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. God has spoken, and he's done so through his ordained apostles and prophets. Yes. And the epistles, all of them are binding and loosing. The, the apostles were writing to the churches, bringing out valid implications and applications of what had already been given to the church. And so when Paul's talking about marriage, he's bringing out the truths of things that God has already bound or already permitted. It's, it's, not, it's just so different from what evangelicals tend to think that is today. Absolutely. And we've covered many different versions of that. But if we are submitted to the fear of God and and we're part of the body of Christ and we're teaching one another, teaching a flock, and we're built on the foundation of Christ, the cornerstone, and his apostles, 
the foundation of the church, his apostles and prophets, not anybody who claims to be one. Then we have guidance and we have hope. And ultimately, this is where it really comes down to the most essential issues. How do we know our sins are forgiven? We can only know that through God's word. Right. And so if someone says you are bound and you're an apostate, and if you don't submit to us, you're lost, you'll probably end up in hell, or you're going to have to somehow try to work your way out of purgatory, which isn't in the Bible. Mm -hmm. How hopeless is it? How do I know? What's the ground for me to know that I'm forgiven by God for sin? And the issue is that Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order to bring us to God. Amen. So we keep talking about access to the throne of grace. Why? Because that's what we need. And as long as history goes on, there are always going to be people claiming to speak in the name of Jesus Christ, and abidingly so, telling you that you cannot do what God has allowed to do, or you are free to do things God has forbidden. Right. And, you know, this isn't limited to the Catholic Church. Honestly, Reformed has their own version of this, too, to a certain degree, where if Westminster is the final final say in what God has um, permitted or forbidden, we've still established another system where man is determining what it is, rather than each believer being able to come to God's word, read it, know it, understand it, and determine what is actually forbidden by God and what is actually permitted by God. That's true, and I, and it, it can be any group. And then there are very heretical groups, and particularly in this country here where we're speaking from, America. I, I was looking through a lot of books yesterday about things we've dealt with over the years. Okay. America is the land of the eschatological cults. <laughs> it sure is. And uh, North America. And so I was reading some more of them. And someone will come along, whether it's the Jehovah Witnesses or um, some started in Canada, but North America, you have Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, other groups claiming we finally have the true word of God. And if you don't listen to us, you're lost. Right. And there's still, we got a flyer in the mail the other day from a church that is starting up here and you read the front and it looks really good. And then you flip the card over and you find out their Torah observant, which is code for Galatian heresy. And, And again, it's false binding and loosing because they're trying to put, it's the opposite of what happened in Acts 15. They're trying to put Gentiles back under the law of Moses. That's very common. And what is going on right now is, according to the book of Ephesians, God is building one new man defined as redeemed Jews and Gentiles who are being built on the foundation that has been laid once for all, which is Christ, the cornerstone, and his apostles. Yes. And whenever someone's converted, 
they're being put into that building, which continues to grow until ultimately the Lord returns. It's a complex event, but we're heading toward judgment. Right. And we don't know when that will be. So in the meantime, we are preaching Christ and calling people to turn to him and trust him. And so once that happens, whatever group that may have been that led us to the Lord, and it's only right that if they're Orthodox and they believe in the Trinity and they believe in the atonement, we assume that they have the right things. But sometimes there are idiosyncrasies that aren't really biblical. Yeah. We're not being offensive by saying, well, I'm not so sure whatever it was. In, my, in our case, in my case in particular, it was the Pentecostals, but they had the gospel. And I don't want to shame the great teachers I had, but I would have to disagree that if you haven't spoken in tongues, then you don't have the second blessing and you're only uh, born of the Spirit, but you're not yet filled. Wow. Right. But now, the teachers that I had just said, stay in the Greek, learn the Bible. I don't want to dishonor people. But then when you get to something else, again, we, every believer needs to search the scripture. Every believer, not just individualism in and of itself, we're part of the body, but we look like as the Bereans did in Acts, are these things true? Yes. Did the Old Testament scriptures teach that Messiah would come and be crucified and hung on a tree? That's, that's offensive. But mm -hmm. when they saw that it did say that, and then he did do the things that the apostles claimed he did. They believed, not all, but many. Right. And, you know, anytime the gospel is being preached, whether it's by the Pentecostals or anyone else, or even, you know, in the liturgy in a church that is otherwise pretty apostate, God can use that. God used Hillsong to save me by his grace. Yet I wouldn't say go listen to Hillsong. But the thing was, they had one song with a line of scripture in it, and it's God's word that brings us from darkness to light. And so while at that time there, I was listening to Hillsong. If somebody said, hey, what do you think of Hillsong? I'm going to say they're heretics. I mean, right. that, sounds, that sounds harsh, but if you actually examine what they say about who Jesus is, you'll find out that it's not the Jesus of the Bible but God still used his word to save me by his grace. Because of church history, that's a good point. The gospel has been layered over with so many different traditions and layers of ideas that usually when someone in this era comes to Christ, they have to start searching the New Testament, just like the Bereans were searching the Old Testament that they had to see whether Christ really did suffer and was, was predicted that he would. I believe in this day is great. Whoever has the gospel, God will use it to save people. But Christians need to search the scriptures of the New Testament and see whether, don't just immediately doubt whoever it was that led you to the Lord, but start searching the scriptures. And there are are wonderful, godly people in lots of different groups. 
and I don't w- wish to shame anybody that loves the Lord, but even in whatever group we're in, we never want to give up the priesthood of every believer. Exactly. You, you say in this article, anyone can see what is forbidden or permitted by Christ and his apostles and make application of it. That's how this is part of the priesthood of every believer. Every single one of us can read the scriptures and make application. We need to be careful that we are rightly handling the word of truth, but we all have both the ability and the responsibility of doing that. Yes, and there are articles, if you go to the CICministry.org and look for, I don't know how many hundred articles we've written, if you include the smaller ones and the audios and the articles and so on. But the point is, we're not right because we wrote an article. We're encouraging everyone to search. And it's easier now with computers. You can find things quickly. You can compare translations. We're to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And if we're saying, which we've been claiming in this series on the priesthood of every believer, that the Bible does teach that we are priests, and the Bible does say that Jesus is the only high priest. And the Bible does say that we have access, Hebrews 4, 16, to the throne of grace, and that he hears us, that he intercedes for us, that these things are biblical. And if someone says, no, unless you submit to us and take an oath and do what we say and do so the way we say, God's not going to hear you. Wow. And that is false binding. And you know, I want to take a second. We are several episodes into this series now. Up front, we kind of laid out the functions of priests and the verses that show we are a royal priesthood. I think this is a good point to reiterate that in case someone's coming in late. So just an overview of the priesthood of every believer. There are seven functions that we're talking about. These So some of them we've done, we're going to get to some others, but here's the seven functions. The ministry of the word, to baptize, to administer communion, to bind and to loose, to offer sacrifice, to pray for others, and to judge doctrine. And one of the verses that teaches this is 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He has made us his royal priesthood so that we can proclaim his words to those who are in darkness, and he can use that to convert his people. Absolutely. And Hebrews 4.16, we've discussed in 1 Peter 2.5, You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That was in the time of the very church while the apostles were still alive. Yes. Peter, who was an eyewitness. And someone will always come along and start adding layers and layers and layers of bind people to things that they're not bound to do. Right. Or works, by the way, for for our listeners, this is what church history shows. The gravity or the 
force or whatever to try to draw us away from this foundation is always toward works. Exactly. Add to what God has done or turn something he's required into a work. Let me illustrate that with just something as simple as prayer. Okay. Some people will say, if you really want God to hear your prayer, you need to fast for so long, pray for so many hours or days, and afflict yourself and do this and do that and do this. And, and then maybe if you show you're serious, God will listen to you. Oh, wow. And that's where these groups start. Pietism, I'm holier than thou, I work harder than you. That's where things go. Now, what's even more egregious is this issue of binding and loosing. Okay. And it's, it's no wonder that people become confused and feeling and feel hopeless. Suppose you really come to Christ and you know him and you love him and you're baptized and you know that God has received you into his flock and someone says, well, prove you're serious. Okay. And the way you prove you're serious is you must do these things or God won't hear you. Oh, wow. And, you know, and that really is so common. And, and oh, even uh, from, from otherwise credible teachers, I, I've heard some very serious things about this where, you know, there, there's a really solid and well-respected teacher that I saw a video of saying he wasn't having anybody converted under his ministry until he started praying the whole night, the night before he was going to go preach the gospel. Well, um, that makes conversion about him and what he did for one thing. And for another, it's not what God's word says. No, the, what we have to get correct is the terms of the gospel. Right. To try to help people get this in a way that's clear. I, I tell people it's about Christ, who he is, including his preexistence, his deity, his incarnation, his virgin birth, his sinless life, his once for all death for sins that he predicted. He died on the cross once for all, shed his blood, his prediction of his resurrection from the dead, which he did pull off as he came from the grave and appeared to many witnesses, and he bodily ascended to heaven. And according to Psalm 110, verse 1, which is cited throughout the New Testament, he reigns at the right hand of God, and he is the one high priest, and he hears those who come to him on his terms. Amen. You don't have to prove you're serious. You don't have to take an oath first and believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. The, what can wash away your sins? Nothing but the once for all shed blood of Christ, not some sacrifice done over and over according to the traditions of men. And this isn't saying that one group has things perfectly done. We have to judge every doctrine. But if we can't get binding and loosing properly understood from Scripture, then the people with more power, more, they're more persuasive, they'll end up telling you things and binding you to things that God never said, and it'll harm you 
it'll harm your families. And ultimately, anyone honest will end up feeling rather hopeless and despairing. That's exactly what happens. And that's what happened to me as a teenager. I was so crippled by by pietism and knowing that I could never meet that standard, that it actually just produced sin rather than righteousness. It does that for everyone. A lot of people that are in groups that claim to have some new perfectionist. Uh, yesterday, I spent some time reading through the works of Finney. Okay. Finney was probably the most man-centered, um, literally Pelagian, as if you could be saved by doing more and trying harder. And perfectionism and human ability and so on will create despair, but it won't create righteousness. Amen. That is so true. All right, we are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. You can access this episode and many others, as well as years worth of articles at the website cicministry.org. While you're there, you can click on contact and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. We want to encourage you all to stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this is Jessica Kramis. And Bob DeWay. We'll see you next week.